I am live. Hello. How you doing? All right, everybody give a shout out to people that are watching on Facebook Live. All right, I saw this shirt this morning, and she just fired me up right at the get-go. Okay, so Cindy Napier is making her way up here, for those of you that are watching. And look, this is just a simple message, but look at this. you got to come over a little bit more in the camera. There you go. Well, can you read that? Fear, faith over fear. I started to say it backwards. Thank you, sweetheart. All right. Faith over fear. It's a simple message, but that's what we've been talking about. That's exactly what Denny was trying to encourage us with this morning. We were looking at it last week. Faith over fear. And thank you so much for proclaiming that, living that out. If you forget anything I say, maybe those three words in pink on that um, wonderful lady right there will remind you this week of what we're talking about. If you have your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, I want to continue on. We're kind of going backwards um, to learn truth. Last week we were looking at um, we were looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to be um, looking at Second, First uh, Timothy, chapter six, and so last week we went to Second Timothy chapter one, but this week First Timothy chapter six, and this is what I want you to write down. If you have a pen, I would like for you to write this down. I want you to hear what I'm what I'm about to proclaim to you from the Word of God in truth. Remember, we've got to remember. We're going through a whole faith series, trying to remember people of faith and looking and trying to remind ourselves of aspects of faith and people in their faith. And we have to, I'm going to say again, some of you need to continue to fight, to learn from the past, learn from the bad, but remember the good. You need to be looking forward. You can't live in the past. You can't allow yourself to be in bondage to those things of the past. So this morning, I want you to remember that faith fuels your fight. Faith should be the fuel for the fight that you have within you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to uh, read verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee these things. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Verse 12, fight, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now I want you to I want to go back and just read to you 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 that we talked about last week. Paul said this to Timothy. Um, no, I mean, sorry. I'm going to go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1 in just a minute, but let me read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, that he says later on, and he says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Now that he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, but in the next letter, later on, he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. This is what he was saying to this man that he'd encouraged already when we were looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1 that he had mentioned in his first letter that you need to fight the good fight of faith. And then in this battle for faith, in this faith fight, in his challenge and him saying you need to fight the good fight of faith, 
In his second letter to him, in chapter 1, he says, you have to understand and be reminded that this fight, this battle, this life is not about being consumed by fear. Not the fear of God. He's not talking about the fear of God. He's talking about the spirit of fear that we talked about last week, that spirit of fear that is going to hold us back. And last week I mentioned that spiderweb of fear that seems to be draped across or covered across America. And that's what Paul is addressing with Timothy here. And we talked about last week that he's given us love, power, and self-discipline. But then I want to remind you that at the end of this same letter, that he says to him, I have modeled and I have shown you and I am ending my life. I'm at the end of my life. And, and Timothy, you have watched me fight the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have modeled for you what I'm talking about when I say fight the good fight. So I just want to point out a few things in the Greek about this word fight. But before I do that, I want to just mention to you, if you go back and look before verse 11, um, he talks about a lot of things. And he talks about money. Um, he talks about things that will pierce us through with many sorrows. And so I just wanted to point out that what he says to him before he encourages him in the fight is he said, Timothy, I need for you to just flee these things. And the word here for flee literally means to run away, escape, or if we want to use a, our terminology, vanish, disappear. He's saying to Timothy, some of these things, listen to me, brothers and sisters, you don't play around with, you don't dabble in, you don't mess around with, you don't set up boundaries to where you think you can dip in and you can walk a line. He's saying there's certain things that all of us face that we need to just get out of dodge with. You get what I'm saying? Flee those things. And then he talks about fighting. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, the first fight where he says fight, the good fight of faith, this word fight, the good, what he's talking about literally, it's to struggle. Figuratively, it's to contend with an adversary. In this particular verse, in this particular word, it means to contend, to struggle with difficulties and dangers. I just want that, I want that to sink in a little bit. We're talking about an adversarial battling some struggling, some difficulties, some dangers, this whole idea of contending. And then when it says fight the good fight, that fight, and then the good fight has to do with as a contest for athletes, runners, charioteers. Those are racing chariots. And it literally means, think about this. You're involved in any struggle with dangers, annoyances, obstacles, standing in the way of our faith or our holiness. I just want to remind you what contend means. To strive or vie in contest or rivalry against difficulties, to struggle as in an adversary. So this morning, I'm asking you to consider what kind of fight you've got in you. Some of us, and all across America today, 
There's a gospel that's being proclaimed that seems like a passive gospel. This morning, I'm not talking about some passive, lazy part that you stumble into whenever it's comfortable, convenience, or it's cool. We've seen a wave of coolness in the Christian church for about 10 or 15 years now. Can I just tell you that the genuine gospel has never been cool? And so this morning when I'm talking about fighting and what Paul was talking about when it says fight the good fight of faith, there's something deep, there's something purifying, there's something penetrating. And when he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, he says, I call you to remembrance, Timothy, of that genuine faith that is in you. And I said last week, and I'm saying again this morning, I'm trying to stir up, I'm trying to break up, I'm trying to get you to look at your genuine faith, to evaluate your life, and ask yourself, is my faith real and genuine? And if it is, what does it look like as it's working out in me? And this is what Paul said to Timothy. It dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mo mother Eunice, and I am persuaded. I see that it's in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fighting for the faith is never the absence of fear, but rather learning how to move forward by faith and not allow fear to immobilize you in its spider web. Did you get that? Fear, please hear me, brothers and sisters. And I'm going to encourage you to stop making excuses, rationalizing, justifying. I don't care about your personality. I don't care about your past. I don't care about your background. I don't need to know just like you don't know about mine. So don't assume certain things about me because I'm standing up here at my age trying to learn how to proclaim the living truth of God and I long for His power to be upon me and His power to be demonstrated through us. You don't know my past. You don't know my fear struggles. You don't know what brings me anxiety. You don't know how naturally timid and shy I am. What matters is the gospel and his power working through us. So let me say very strongly, fear that takes away your fight, look at me and hear me this morning, fear that takes away your fight is not from God Almighty. Fear that takes away your fight to know God and make him known is not from God, it's from the defeated one, who is masquerading as a presenter of truth. So this morning, I'm going to ask us to consider this term. Because this is what I'm proclaiming this morning. Three words. You may want to write this down. Because you're not going to find this in the Greek text. Spiritual, sweat equity. Spiritual, sweat equity. I know for some people in our current culture, sweat's a bad word. Man, I'm not going to lie to you. I dig air conditioning just like you do. But what I've learned is if I insulate myself to the point where I'm trying to keep myself 
from sweating. I limit myself, I hinder myself, and I qualify myself to not be fit in certain areas. You may not like what I just said, but I love you too. Spiritual sweat equity. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. If you want to follow along, please feel free. This is in the New King James. Ephesians 6, 10 through, tw- 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The fight that I talk about this morning is not what they made the Crusades. The fight that I'm talking about this morning, and there's a lot of people that debunk Christianity because of what they go back to the Crusades and they talk historically. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about what Ephesians chapter 6 is talking about. This spiritual fight, fight the good fight of faith, is exactly what he's talking about here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not a physical, this is not a limited carnal battle, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Some of you right now, simply standing up, you have a new perspective on standing. You can understand in it from a battle standpoint that sometimes just to take a stance of standing posture is a battle and you are fighting simply to stand up and stay on your two feet. Because in battle, when you're fighting physically, you better stay on your feet. You better stay on your mount. And if you come off your mount, you better get on your feet quickly. Because when you go down to your back, you don't battle from your back like you do in wrestling. When weapons are involved, typically. Are you tracking with me? Let's keep reading. Stand therefore, having gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with, with, with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication and Spirit, being watchful to this end and all perseverance and supplications for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." I just want to say this to all of you that pray for me. This verse has taken on new meaning to me the last multiple months. I need and I appreciate your intercession for me and for my family. And just like Paul said, I need that covering because you are being used of God. And I can't go into detail, but I just want to encourage you and say thank you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to the pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ.
I want to share with you real quickly three practical biblical measures to evaluate your involvement in fighting the good fight. Or three ways for you to evaluate or guard your spiritual sweat equity. I want to give you three things that are real and you can see in the Word of God and I want to remind you of some things. These are three things that you can evaluate your own sweat equity. What you put into, and some of you parents, grandparents, you know that some of you have tried and you have erred because you have done too much and you have not allowed your children or your grandchildren to bear the burden, to bear the sweat, to bear the responsibility because you know You've learned. We all have that process. Our parents sacrifice. They do all kinds of things. But when we begin to transition into that period, when we now have to pay for registration, we now have to pay for insurance, we are now swiping our own card or laying down our own cash for gas, that sweat equity investment and management isn't it amazing how it changes the picture or the landscape? Oh, yeah. Because, see, some things never change. So I'm asking you this morning about yourself and God. Number one, I want to ask you about your sweat equity in the word of the living God. Straight up. What's your sweat equity in Scripture? And I want to ask you this way. Are you contending, struggling with annoyances, dangers, obstacles to learn God's Word? Are you active, engaged, participating, working, laboring to make His truth the number one most influential truth in your life? Some of you spend hours in the media, you spend hours filling your mind with stuff and then you... I'm trying to be gracious, but then you say to me, man, I just don't have time for the Word of God. The Word of the living God is infallible, trustworthy, inspired by God, always true, and sharper than any two-edged sword because it goes right to the heart and soul of each and every one of us when we put forth effort to fight, to listen, and learn from what God says. Parents, grandparents, please hear me when I say this. Display to your children and your grandchildren your pursuit and the priority of the Word of God, and I can promise you the majority of the time it will wind up being important to them. I'm speaking truth and reality that I've learned through my own life and I've seen lived out or I've seen not lived out through other people. I'm asking you this morning, when it comes to Bible studies, when it comes to being connected somewhere, when it comes to whatever, do you have sweat equity when it comes to your pursuit of the living truth of the living God, the Word of God, the Scriptures? Number two, your sweat equity in people. The church and unbelieving people. I'm asking you to look and evaluate how you are fighting the good fight of faith. 
Because in all three of these areas that I'm going to talk about this morning, Paul modeled these, and you read his epistles, you read his writings, and he talks about these in different shape, form, and fashion on a reg- with regularity. Let me ask it this way. Are you contending, struggling with annoyances, dangers, obstacles to invest in people the way God has designed? Are you active, engaged, participating, working, laboring to interact with other human beings in the manner that God has commanded? And a lot of times, I'm going to be honest, this is why we are trying to break the old model that we've seen, because I have not seen a ton of church examples that do this really well consistently start to finish. So you know what scares me to death? Is being a spiritual leader in a church family where we are trying passionately read the Word of God and say, God, help us to love the way that you love. Help us to invest the way that you invest. Help us to live out your Scripture. What does that look like, God? That's a reality that we're all faced with. Because we're trying to get a glimpse of, live out, and pursue something that's supernatural and life-altering. God's plan, I'm going to remind you right now, for those of you that need to be reminded, God's plan is about people. We are social beings. There is a reason why there is depression, alcoholism, drug abuse that is on the rise right now because we are not created to be isolated individuals. We weren't made for that. And some of you, you've convinced yourself that that's true because your personality, the way you process information. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Joyce, can you hear me back there? Okay, good. No, 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 no. I don't have to worry about you being that way. That's why I can pick on you. Okay? Lori said sorry to you, Joyce, if you didn't hear. Okay? Human relationships in the body of believers is supposed to model to an unbelieving world this supernatural relationship experience called Christianity. Let me read that to you one more time. Human relationships in the body of believers, church, you don't go to church, we be the church, we are the church. Can I get a snort? Anybody listen to the car? Give me a honk because they are not helping me right now. Got to get a honk. There we go. Thank you. Hallelujah, whoever that was. Thank you. Human relationship in the body of believers, the church, is supposed to model to an unbelieving, unsaved, dark world that this supernatural relational experience called Christianity is real. God's plan is first and foremost about people. I'm going to say and remind again, God's plan is first and foremost about people. Not property, not prosperity, and not privilege. God's plan is not first and foremost about how big of a property we buy and how big of a structure we can build and what our offerings are like and what kind of privilege we have and how we flaunt that with other people. It is about People. And when Jesus came and walked this planet, who did he hang out with? It wasn't the privilege, the prosperous, it wasn't all this other group first. What did he get 
Stones thrown at him because he hung out with the disenfranchised, the overlooked, the sinners, just like all of us. If you don't fit into that category, like all of us, I'm going to encourage you to worship elsewhere because we're going to mess you up. You get what I'm saying when I say that? Because we all are in need of Jesus. We're messed up. Hey, I want to mention this. I got slammed by this this week. The potter and the clay is a great visual image. Don't you love that picture? Not always easy, but you know, you have the potter's wheel and you, have, you know, it's spitting everything and he's molding us into something. Well, I find the image of the sculptor and the stone a bit more real in my own life because of how hard-headed I am. I would like to say, I love that song. You are the potter, I am the clay. Lord, you want to sing this with me? Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. I love that song, but I don't know of a song that says, like, Tim, you're a thickhead, you're like a piece of stone, and God has got a hammer and a chisel, and he's making you do the image of Christ. If you know that song, or you can come up with it, I will sing it, okay? But that's pretty much my life. And so guess what he uses in my life more than anything else as this big old chisel to chip away and mold me into the image of Christ. He's got this chisel and he's hammering away and he's making indentions in me and he's making headway. And guess who he uses in my life and yours as one of the number one conforming pieces? People. People. People are amazing and they are incredible and they have incredible hearts. People are also terrible and sinful and disgusting. You're a pastor, you can't say that. Well, I can't say that anymore. I just did. We're human struggling and we're trying to understand. What I'm trying to say is think about this, hurting people hurt other people. And so one of the things that we try to do if we're not careful is we try to insulate ourselves from past hurts, pains, and yet in the body of Christ, part of that good fight of faith is that we have to learn to see other people and view other people through God's eyes. And let me just tell you something. Some of the very people that are most annoying in your life they're probably like how they are in my life. They are the actual chisel that God is using against my imperfections or my hardness to chisel away at me and get my attention because it's in those kind of relationships where I keep coming back to Him, asking Him for help, asking Him for strength, asking Him for vitality that I don't have on my own. And let me just say this. I don't naturally have the depth of reservoir or motivation to keep going back and loving, and loving, and loving, and going back and trying to reconcile, and going back and seeking forgiveness, or going back and saying, hey, you were this or that. But it's the good fight of faith that purifies, and that sweat equity that makes an amazing difference in our lives. But we have to be committed to it. Number three, your sweat equity in prayer. Let me just go ahead and read this before I go into sweat equity and prayer. 
Do not isolate or run from other people or convince yourself that you can pursue Christ apart from people because that is not his plan. You are hearing lies from the defeated one if you've convinced yourself that what I just said is true. Your sweat equity in prayer. Let me ask it this way. Are you contending, struggling with annoyances, dangers, obstacles to interact with God himself? Are you active, engaged, participating, working, laboring to learn to open yourself up to the one who knows you better than anyone in the universe? No experience in my life purifies, humbles, clarifies, motivates, and strengthens me like personal, private, honest conversations with the creator of the universe through Jesus with the assistance of the helper. Nothing. Nothing works to the depth and the purity of my life like prayer. And I'm just going to remind you this morning that we need to be people of prayer. And if you used to be somebody that prayed, we have to get back to being people of prayer. This church family exists primarily because a group of men and a group of women got together and began to seek the living God and pray and seek His face. It wasn't because we had some incredible business model that we poured out over everything. This started out praying and seeking the Lord and asking Him, God, what do you want? Because we don't need one more label called a church in this region. Are you hearing me? Prayer. Not people that talk conveniently of prayer when it costs us nothing. Not passing on Bible verses about prayer when we don't practice. We have been lulled to sleep by our own efforts and our smug accomplishments that we take credit for in our religion. Religion does not practice and promote heart-changing prayer. Only faith relationship through grace does. We must learn the true flow of power from the throne room of heaven only comes through learning to pray. A humble dependence that is evidenced through a humble heart of dependent words from a humble position on our knees before the throne of God. It is not an easy school with easy lessons, but it is a school of people who understand the power source and engage in Him. I've heard so many people quote, and I believe, and I, I proclaim it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek. Where we are and what we face can only be addressed in the purest form of dependency, which is prayer. You know why as a man I've had such a hard time learning how to pray in my life? Men, hear me when I say this. Number one, it wasn't modeled to me very well. I didn't get it. I'm not talking about being in a Bible study that talks about prayer. I'm talking about being around men that were real men, men that were seeking God, that modeled for Tim Duggins, dude, this is how you depend on God. And let me just tell you something, Tim. You are not going to be the man God wants you to be unless you learn how to depend on Him. And this is my practice. This is my discipline. This is what I do. 
That was missing from my life. And look at me, let's be honest. Most of us here this morning, that's been missing from our lives. If you're not, you need to fall on your face right now and cry out with thanksgiving and appreciation that you got a different model. So then as I begin to do that as a man, I don't naturally go and ask other people for help because there again, that wasn't modeled for me. You're supposed to be independent. You have your own tools. You have your own well-being. You take care of stuff. You do stuff on your own. So then as I begin to pursue in my Christian life and walk with him, and I'm put in situation after situation where I'm in over my head, and I'm not equipped, and I don't have the reservoir, and I don't have these things, and I have learned to cry out to him, and God has met me at those things, it has been a laborious, long process. And we need to change that for generations to come. Men, don't look at me and tell me any kind of excuse about you don't know how to pray. You're looking at a brother that's learning the same way. But I don't care. We have to pray. And we have to lead our families in prayer. And if you don't know how to pray, then learn from your lady who's praying because she has a tender heart and God has wired her in a way to help and assist us. I have learned better how to pray through my wife. I've learned how to pray better through my kids. There's humility in that. But we have to be men and women of prayer. Jot down Galatians 5, 16 through 25, because I'm not going to read it right now, but I want you to read it on your own. And as we're learning to fight the good fight, it's one of the reasons for the encouragement of Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 10. I'll read it if you can't remember. Galatians 6, 7 through 10 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I just want to remind you that you typically get weary from either physical exhaustion or lack of sleep. And Paul was talking to these people in the church that we're fighting the good fight. And please hear me when I say this. Some of you, I appreciate, and I don't want you to stop sharing your concern for Lori and I. And you say, Tim, you do too much. Say, Tim, you don't rest and you don't take care of yourself enough. And you're right. We've been working on changes. But I also want to say that from my heart, Lori and I love deeply, and we love you deeply. And we are pouring ourselves out as as an offering to our Lord first, but also to you, because we are striving and we are fighting the good fight of faith, and we are trying to model investment and sweat equity. We are trying desperately to have sweat equity in the very areas that we're talking about. And it's about people. And we're praying for the salvation of lost people, for the blindness of eyes, for all kinds of things. But we have to gain strength from the Word of God. And some of you, You're weary because of what you do to your own mind and the fears that you allow to possess you 
that spirit of fear that you allow to conquer you. You're not weary because you're laying yourself out and you're pouring yourself out and you're fighting and you're investing and you're doing all these things. You're weary because you are twisting up your own internal anatomy to no end. Because you do that and you still have no peace. And you have to begin to fight the good fight and take steps to incorporate the Word of God. And I don't care whether you want to go to someone. The Bible says that if you've offended somebody, truly made somebody to stumble, or they've truly made you to stumble, get off your rear and address it. It doesn't say it just like that in the Scripture. But that's Tim's interpretation. Get up and do something. Make your faith active and apply it. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes. I do a little bit better in confrontational situations than I did when I was 25. Because nobody trained me and taught me. I got thrown into um, problem solving and conflict resolution. I didn't even know what it was. You get what I'm saying? Paul was talking to people who were fighting the good fight. Let's either commit or recommit ourselves to God and to one another to invest some serious sweat equity to fighting the good fight of faith. Sweat equity toward the Word of God, people, and prayer. My passion this morning is for God and people. My passion is for God's people because I believe that we are supposed to model the reality of forgiveness, the reality of love, the reality of relationship. But my heart is for people that are outside the household of faith, that they would see something different in us and want to just be alongside. You know, it's like when you go to somebody's house and you feel loved and accepted. You may not know consciously why you just want to be at their house and hang out with them. It's not just because of cookies and milk. It's because you feel connection, but you don't know what that is. To me, that's what the church of the living God is supposed to be about. So let's be that church. Say, Tim, you've really annoyed me this morning. Well, at least you were listening. Say, Tim, you've made me mad. You like my boots? But I'm trying to stir up genuine faith. Hey, brothers and sisters, you need to vote. But no party is going to change what's going on right now. No political affiliation. No leader, no government strategy. Because what the problem we have right now is called sin. And the only covering for sin is salvation by faith or grace. So, Father, we're asking you, oh God, we're here. I'm just so thankful. Thank you that you've been patient with me, God. Thank you for your long suffering and your forgiveness. And I thank you 
that the blood of your son covers me even when I don't believe it or act like it or understand it. I pray that for my brothers and sisters. I pray that for those that are on the outside of the household of faith, that they would walk in, that they would be brought in by your spirit. God, as you're drawing them, that they would respond in faith. God, I'm asking that you would do something supernatural. God, that you would use this church family to proclaim your grace and your love and mercy to a lost world. Father, help us not to give up. Help us to invest. I, I pray sweat equity for us to honor and to love and to pursue the word of God, to honor and fight for other people, God, to not live in isolation. God, I ask that you would please teach us to pray. God, we ask just like your, your disciples did. Lord, teach us, help us to pray. It's because of Jesus we ask these things. Amen.